0: All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. You're
1: here with father and son duo Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. Excited for our guest. We've got a, an old tough guy here that we're going to have on the show. So why don't you get right into the introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast is in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey
0: Podcast um, and Network. So we are very excited to have with us today special guest Sylvain Cloutier. So Sylvain played for juniors um, for the Guelph Storm in the OHL from 1991 till 94. And during that time, he also was able to captain the team during his final year with the team and then was drafted in the 92 draft in the third round by the Detroit Red Wings. After graduating from juniors, he immediately began playing in the AHL um, for various clubs from 94 to 98 until reaching his ultimate goal of playing in the NHL while he suited up for a stint of games with the Chicago Blackhawks. Sylvain so continued his career playing in various leagues and didn't officially retire until 2014. His most notable accolades is being a Calder Cup champ in 2002 and 2003 and was a two-time EIHL champ in 2007 and in 2008. I know that was a mouthful, Sylvain, but we are very excited to have you today, man. So welcome our guest, Sylvain Cloutier. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Sylvain, I wanted to start with the questions by um, starting with your experiences in the OHL. So for uh, our fans that don't know, um, uh, Sylvain had 237 points and 106 goals during his three years in the league. What was your experience like um, being with the team for three years and obviously going into that leadership role of being a captain?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, playing in Guelph, um, the OHL was a great experience. Uh, they drafted me at a, my midget team out of Sault Ste. Maria, uh, Ontario, where I grew up. Uh, I was a second round pick to Guelph. Todd Bertuzzi was the first round pick to Guelph that year. Um, yeah, I mean, our first year in Guelph, we won four games uh, all season out of 66. We had an OHL record. Uh, what happened was Mr. Oh, Mike Kelly, was our general manager, he ended up uh, trading away all the veteran players and doing a complete rebuild. So by the time it was my third year, uh, we were, uh, most of us were 19 and 18. And after we left, the way he built it and traded for draft picks, Guelph ended up been very successful uh, junior organization and still is to this day. But uh, to go back to my junior, my my rookie year, I had 35 goals for Guelph. I finished second in voting, I believe, to Chris Spronger in the rookie race that year in the Uh um, My second year, I was on pace to probably – close to hitting 50 goals I ended up getting injured I hurt my MCL so I only played uh, I think it was 40 some games still ended up with 27 goals um my last year junior I was playing on the line with Jeff O'Neill and Mike Prokopec so um we were the the top line in Guelph and we were producing Uh, they were counting on us had a great offensive season uh, that year and then ended up signing my contract with Detroit and moving on from Guelph but Guelph was great because that was my high school years and spent a lot of time and that's where I met my wife also. She was going to Guelph university. So, and, so uh, nice. actually today, today's our 24th anniversary so. Oh, <laughs> oh, congrats, yeah, yeah, anniversary. so yeah. Yeah. So she let me do this now, but, uh, my ex, my daughter, <laughs> uh, she went to school there. So you know, Guelph, um, you know, it's a special place in my heart for sure.
1: So, uh, Sylvain for our American listeners, uh, that might not be too keen in on, on the OHL, is uh, we'll get to your NHL draft story later, but for a Canadian hockey player, is it sort of like the first big step to say, hey, hockey might be a career when you get drafted in the OHL? Is that, it seems to me with all our guests, that seems to be the first big step is getting drafted in the OHL.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was playing uh, Bantam in Sault Ste. Marie um, and I was uh, ranked as an underage player the OHL, and you had at the time you had to go in the top three rounds. Um, that's when I really found out oh, maybe you know there is something here for me to have a hockey career. Again, notice people are coming to interview you, you're meeting with people, and playing in Sault Ste. Marie. We had the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, uh, that was right at home, a uh, hometown team. And um, you know, growing up, you wanted to play there, and some of the players they had there, like Rick Tockett played there, and who else can I think of? Um, Trying to think of other guys oh adam cutt and kevin hots and guys like that played in the sioux so you watched them play and that's the team you wanted to play for so uh, after my bantam year I ended up going to midget and i was ranked in the first round for the uhl draft and met with a lot of teams uh, guelph met with them quite a bit and the sioux obviously from being there and the Peterborough beats but um you know what it was uh when i was in bantam i mean i was approached at tournaments by OHL scouts, and um, back then we didn't really talk about the NCAA route. So nowadays the players know a lot more about the NCAA route. So you can go either way, OHL or even the USHL, who's a very good league now. And uh, the NCAA I mean, we had Lake Spreer State across the bridge to St. Marie, Michigan, but you know, you wanted to be a Greyhound growing up. So yeah, the OHL, when um, they came and interviewed me, and, and I knew I was going to be. That's when I started being wild. Wow, there might be something here.
0: Now, a, a question I definitely wanted to ask, Sylvain, was I, I was doing my research to that when the final season, I assumed your OHL season had concluded, it, it looked like you were immediately requested and you jumped straight from the OHL to playing, what, at least two or three games, right, in the AHL with the Red Wings affiliate what was the story of how that came on? What was that like playing with 18, 19-year-olds? So all of a sudden, you're playing one league right below the NHL. Yeah,
2: I mean, um, you know, we ended up actually losing to my brother, uh, Danny, the goalie. Uh, you know, he was a goalie for the Sioux San Marie Greyhounds, and that's who we played uh, in that last playoff round of my junior career, and they, they beat us, and uh, after the game, you know, um, obviously it, you're so it's emotional we had a very good team you've been with these guys for three years I became very close and I got called into Mike Kelly's office right away after the game and it's like yeah you need to pack your stuff you're uh, meeting Adirondack the Red Wings in Cornwall uh, tomorrow night and um, so I had to drive there I packed my stuff but it, it was emotional because I didn't get to say goodbye to my teammates like obviously we, they got together after the game and you know, had a party and um even to say goodbye to the fans. I think I went upstairs quick. There was a, a bar in the old uh, Memorial Arena or Gardens Arena and Guelph and there's a little bit of a celebration saying goodbye and gave my jersey and stuff, but it was kind of so quick that you know I wasn't there for the awards night and all the booster club stuff. So it was I was happy I was getting called up, but it was also sad a sad time at a time because your junior career was over and all the guys you went to war with for three years, like you know, there's no cell phones back then and, you know, really didn't use the internet really. And uh, to leave and just jump in my, you know, it was quite a bit of a drive to Cornwall and it was a sad time because you reflect in your career, but also it was exciting. Um, once okay. I got to uh, Cornwall and uh, Newell Brown was there as the head coach and Murray Eaves was his assistant. Obviously, oh, sorry, Joe Patterson. Um, you know what? I just jumped right in and played the two, three games, whatever it was. And then, they went on for playoff run. They were supposed to win the Call Calder Cup, but they ran into uh, the Portland Pirates, I believe, in the semifinals. Coached by Barry Trotz at the time, and um, they had Byron Defoe in goal, and I forget the other guy was a goalie for Washington, big guy, Olaf Kolzig maybe. How's his name? Yeah, yeah Kolzig. So they were pretty stacked, and they had a really good team. So we got to watch and we practice, and you know it was quite the experience. There's two or three of us over there with black aces, and Oh, and then the following year, I was back, went to training camp in Detroit, and we all got sent down, and, uh, yeah, that's when the Adirondack Red Wings uh, career started.
1: We enjoy asking our guests uh, to, to talk a little bit about their their draft story, and, you know, we got everything from first-rounders to guys that went to the draft and never got, never got drafted, so yeah. we've heard the gamut from, oh, I didn't go to my draft, so what was your draft story like? third round uh 92 right
2: yeah I was 92 is at the montreal forum actually uh my well, my favorite team is montreal so it was quite quite neat i was born outside of montreal in montlory quebec but grew up in um, in sault Ste. marie uh but all my family was at the draft uncles cousins uh, i was ranked in the top i think i was ranked 22nd at the time And what happened that year, uh, the first year, the Europeans were allowed to be drafted. So all the Russians, like not just Europeans, I mean, the Russians were allowed, I think, that year. So we all got pushed back quite a bit with all the guys getting drafted. I mean, there's 28 and 29-year-olds, right, from Russia again drafted. Um, During my last year, junior, I had a lot of meetings with Washington, Toronto, uh, L.A., Pittsburgh. I remember Detroit. I think I had one meeting during the season. The team I was having a lot of meetings with was uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, right to the Friday night, the day before the draft, because ours was on a Saturday. And um, I thought for sure I was going to the Maple Leafs. And, um, I'm, and that Friday night, I went out for dinner with my family, then I got called back from my agent to get back to another hotel to go meet with uh, Jimmy DeVolano and uh, Kenny Holland. So I had an interview with those two, and then went from there the next day in the third round I was waiting I was disappointed because I was ranked higher I was hoping to go go higher right a bit of pride there you want to get as high as you can but um you know when they drafted me I I, I was so excited I mean uh to walk down the form the the steps I was my legs were shaking I'll never forget that I was worried about (laughs) missing a step and then I met I went and met at the table I mean uh, Scotty Bowman and all those guys um Ken Holland and Doug McClain and Brian Murray, they were all there, but maybe Scotty wasn't there at the time. But, um, yeah, no, it was quite the experience. It was an honor to be drafted by an original six and, and the Red Wings, for sure.
1: So, so since you were, you know, still pretty high in the draft, um, what were some of the conversations that you would have with a team if they're interested in you? I mean, what are some of the questions? What what do you talk about with them?
2: Oh, uh, you know, they back then, I guess it was more like, like they do today, like I, I did go to the top 50 NHL prospect uh, testing. I think it might have been the first year they started it was at the Toronto airport or the hotel. It was actually the first time I took a plane from Sault Ste. Marie to Toronto and I didn't know anyone. It was the top 50 Canadian players and American guys are again tested. But uh, some of the questions was a lot about my family background and my schooling, if I graduated or how school was going. Uh, what I plan to do with my signing bonus if I got one and sign? Um, did I have a girlfriend? Did I love working out? Did I skate like stuff like that. Really, nothing um, too serious. And you know, obviously, they ask you what type of player you were. And, and back then, I was more an offensive, offensive guy that could score goals. I mean, I did it. That's what I was doing growing up and playing in the OHL. Um, so obviously, I knew I had a good shot, and I. I can put the puck in the net, and then um, yeah, we just a lot of conversation, joking around, and stuff like that. No, it's it actually a really good experience.
1: So you were certainly, like you said, productive. You could put the puck in the net, and you know you had a lot of uh, points here with uh, with the uh, in the AHL, um, but you also had like over 150 penalty minutes as well, and um, and like 100 in your last season. Uh, with Guelp. So when did did your physical game always uh did your physical game start when you were younger, or was that something you kind of grew into?
2: Yeah, I kind of grew into it. I mean, I was more um you know, on Bannham, Pee Wee, and Midget. I pretty much dominated games, so I could do what I wanted at that stage. Um, but once I got to junior, I had to learn how to defend myself and play physical. Obviously, you didn't fight minor hockey we didn't have fights um junior had a few fights but not that much because we had guys like Alex Stojinov, Roman Nader, Ken Belanger, Ryan Vanderbush those guys kind of protected us right it's it's a tough job I wouldn't say I I was more of maybe a a middleweight not those guys are heavyweights those guys to do that job like so much respect for those guys but yeah, once I got to the American Hockey League, my role kind of changed when I got to Adirondack. They wanted me to be a checking center, um, and that's you know that's what the Red Wings wanted. I mean, at center they had Isman, Chedarov, Larry off Draper. So pretty tough line up to crack at center when you're down yeah. right. So and their wingers. I mean, they were stacked in those years when I was there. So, but it's not an excuse. We kept battling, working hard, try to make it. Um, Noel Brown and them, they asked me to become a checking center and. Um, I was running around. I was hitting everything that moved. That's what they asked me to do. And, you know, when you, you're there at that level, it's a job now. So, you want to stay in the lineup, you got to do what you got to do. And my first pro fight in the American Hockey League, uh, I was kind of running around. I was picking a little bit. On, uh, I can't remember his first name. Was LaRouche was his last name. Very skilled hockey player. And I was playing against him. It was my job to shut him down. And, um, Kerry Clark came after me, uh, Wendell Clark's brother, and he looked exactly like Wendell. And I, (laughs) you know, I fought some guys, but he was a heavyweight. And, well, first, Brian Curran tried to come after me. Um, He was a big, tough guy, honest. They're all honest. Uh, Kerry grabbed me, dropped his gloves, and said, we're going. So I had no choice, and uh, to be honest, uh, I took a beating. Um, But that's how you learn, right? I was running around. I was... Back then, if he did that, he had to answer the bell, and uh, I did, and uh, I'm pretty sure Kerry probably took it easy on me, but no, he uh, he hit me hard a few times, and I had a lot of lumps the next day to try to put my helmet on for practice, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Jeremy,
1: first... Sorry, go ahead. No, go yeah.
2: ahead, Sylvain. No, I was just going to say, you know, you learn. Like, now, nowadays, you can run around and you know, nothing happens, so you can do... Back then, if you did that job and did that role and you go and... You know, you run one of the top players, you play them hard and physical, someone's going to come and you have to answer the bell, right? So Yeah. So to follow up what you just said then, Sylvain,
0: this was going to be a question I usually like to ask some of the guys who partook in the physical game of hockey back in their career. Do you still see then some of the guys that are running around like, you know, with the Tom Wilson incidences all year, everybody was talking about things like that. Do you think fighting is still relevant or should at least be relevant in hockey
2: today? Well, yeah, I I think it's always it should always be a part of the game. It's an intense game, right? I know the games change, but it's a very it's a physical game, it's intense. I mean, um, when you go in a corner and you battle with someone and it ends up, I think that's great. The Tom Wilson thing. I mean, would he have done that if you had a George Laroque on the other side or right? You know, a big like Tom Wilson's a very good hockey player. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's not just. A fire he can play the game. He's big, he's fast. But do you really do that to that player when you know someone else on the bench is sitting there, and he might have, he might come out like we have done it if, if Ryan Reeves was on the bench on the other side. You know, when he plays in Vegas, I don't know how much his game changes, but um, I love the way he plays. I love the way Josh Anderson plays. they big boys that play physical, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, Wilson maybe crosses the line once in a while, and maybe that's because. There's not that element to the game
1: anymore. Well, you're right, and you know we see it the uh, the Rangers after the Wilson incident. I mean, he came out to play it another period and a half, and there was literally no response from the Rangers. Of course, they came back the next game, and they had whatever their little line fight or whatever happened there. But I think that was more of a necessity from the fans. I mean, you know, but nobody stepped up and you got a, like a cadre again, a good hockey player, but he can take some liberties and run some guys. I get tired of, you know, even, even though I love hockey, I love watching the playoffs, but I'm getting tired of every time the puck is frozen by the goalie, you got the face washing, the cheap shots. It's like automatic. And it's like either drop the gloves or just don't do that stuff. I mean, the goal is there's no need for it. And it just seems like it's, uh, I don't know. I don't like the way it's going, Andrew. And I don't know about you. And so I don't know what your thoughts are about
2: that. Oh, I mean, I love the fast pace and all that. But like you said, the stuff after the whistles, they know, like, you can just face wash someone and you get away with it. Back then, if you face wash someone, you had to be ready because the gloves right. were going to come off. I, I'm not saying there's, there's less respect now, but there was a lot of respect back when we played, and guys respected each other. Yeah, you know, why did we, did we all cross the line? Maybe at one point during our careers, yeah, maybe I. You know, if I go way back and start looking back, maybe I did cheap shot a couple of guys, but you know what? If I did, I'm sure someone I had to answer the bell somewhere. Um I and you, to it, go after goalies and bump goalies. I mean, there's no need because, you know, obviously if I was playing in today's game and I knew I can get away with it, I would, right? That's why yeah, and, and
1: and you knew when you ran somebody or you you know you did something a little uh, over the line, you knew that chances are you were going to have to pay for that, right?
2: Oh yeah, always. I mean, I, I even when I played my brother in Binghamton when he played for Binghamton, I snowed him, and I think I had three guys come after me. Like, in, <laughs> so, you know, I got thrown to the ice pretty quick, and they might have taken it even easy on me a little bit because they knew we were brothers, but. <laughs> you know, just just competing and you know and binghamton had a tough team at the time too so um yeah no you couldn't do that you can't stop in front of the goal and do that stuff but you know i like like gallagher does it but at least he stands in there and he's willing to take the punishment too right it's the guy right can skate away and smirk after that's uh that's kind of annoying
0: so during your first two seasons when you're in the AHL and everything, you ended up playing what would be your only half dozen games in the ECHL. And for our listeners who don't know, we're actually from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So there's really no hockey around here except, except the, the Tulsa Oilers, are, right. which has been the ECHL, and they've been here since the 20s. So I'm always curious about ECHL stories. So do you have any crazy stories? Because I heard that league was still pretty crazy even back in the 90s and early 2000s.
2: Yeah. So the reason I ended up going to Toledo is I tore my ACL my first year in Adirondack. So um, I ended up getting hurt. Maybe there was five, six games left before the playoffs. I went to hit a defenseman, uh, Steve Popes was his name, Pops or Popes. And he kind of, um, you know, I I guess didn't didn't like, he didn't like being run or nobody does, but I took a charge at him and ended up tearing my knee um my ACL so I missed some time and then my second year in Adirondack I wasn't playing a lot I was training camp I came back I dressed for the games I wasn't getting a lot of ice time so I ended up calling my agent I said is, is it possible for me because other guys I got injured and up going to Toledo and for some reason I wasn't getting sent down they're keeping me there which which was fine I was working with my trainer and all that doing the rehab and not getting a lot of ice time, I was really frustrating because I wasn't used to sitting on the bench and not playing. So I asked, I said, is there any way you can talk to, to Detroit and see if I can get sent down to Toledo to go play and get some ice time and get some confidence because I'm like sitting on the bench, I'm not gaining anything here. I'm getting more frustrated than anything. So
1: they were actually really happy that I called and asked
2: because they, were, they, were, they didn't want to ask me to go down. They thought I'd be upset, but I just wanted to play. I knew I came back from a major injury. So I went down to Toledo and um, yeah, and to be honest, we played the old Toledo arena. So you walked through the crowd and there's smoking at a time. The hallway was, you know, there was smoke everywhere. Uh, it was a great little building. Um, you know, after being injured and going there, it, it was the love of the, cause I was so frustrated trying to make a comeback after the surgery. The six months out it took me almost seven months to, to get back into it and um, those two weeks in Toledo were a blast I mean I enjoyed every minute of it playing the East Coast Hockey League and uh, I can't think of my coach's name right now I know his nickname is Chief um, but we had a great group of guys at uh, Jason uh, Gladney was there at the time a guy I played against in the OHL and he played in Adirondack my first year a little bit with me and he didn't come back and then sign him back but he he was playing in Toledo and we were pretty close uh, buddies, but it was nice to, to go there and have a familiar face. And you know what? I, I regained confidence um, offensively, especially because they're were, they were playing me I was on the PK. I was playing on the power play. I was, I was playing on the good line. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed Toledo.
1: Now, you also had some stints with the IHL and. Uh, you know, our younger listeners uh, might not know too much about the IHL, but that was an interesting, independent sort of renegade league. What was your experiences in the
2: IHL? Well, when I when I left the Detroit organization, uh, Kenny Holland had given me um, – he wanted to bring me back for another year and send me back to the Detroit Vipers because I was, ended up getting loaned out to the Vipers for their playoff run. Um and I played for Steve Ludzik there, and Rick Dudley was the general manager. He ended up losing to the Chicago Wolves in Game 7 of the Turner Cup that year. So after my contract was up, uh, my agent, Kenny Holland, spoke, and they offered me the same salary, but wanted not to send me back to Adirondack, but because I had success with the Vipers uh, during the playoffs. It took me a while to stay in the lineup because they had a very good team, and I had to prove myself to Steve Ludzik, and which I did because I ended up playing on the line with uh, Stan Julia and, and Pete Savaglia, And then I started off with, on the fourth line with, well, if you believe this, Jimmy Carson and Phil Crow. So, uh, but I worked my way up, um, had a great playoffs with them. Um, but yeah, so Detroit offered me another year, same salary. They said, we'll send you back to the Vipers. You'll be close. And I'm like, you know what? Like, um, Kenny told Roly Thompson at the time my agent said, why don't you guys go explore? If you can't find anything, the contracts there for, for slide, and you, and you guys can come back, we'll sign you. So Roly made some phone calls, and right away Chicago uh, offered a two-year contract. Uh, they were assuming I was going to sign back with Detroit. So Bob Murray at the time uh, made us an offer, and that's how I ended up in uh, Indianapolis, um, which was really good for me because the other farm team for Chicago that year they split their. The two to the ten guys to Portland and the American Hockey League, and then ten guys to Indianapolis. And thank God I went to Indy because who knows what would happen if so I would have got called up. But um, the credit for me getting called up all well, goes to Bruce Cassidy. He's probably one of my favorite coaches. He was my head coach uh, in Indy, and uh, he came up to me at training camp and he said, "Look, Lutz, I know you haven't put great numbers or you know decent numbers in the American League, but..." I looked you up and you're scoring in bam and midget and junior, you can't lose that scoring touch. And uh, he believed in me, gave me a lot of ice. And I ended up scoring 21 goals that year in the IHL. So um, when you have someone that believes in you and pushes you and talks to you and pushes the right button, that's what Bruce did. And um, you know I'm so thankful to him and he gave me the chance to get called up to Chicago that year.
0: Yeah, and so that was actually going to be one of my questions going back to when you first joined the Detroit Vipers in the IHL. You'd only played – it had read eight regular season games and, like you said, made that uh, deep playoff run until game seven, at championships. Was it really difficult to just hop into a locker room, obviously brand-new coaches, trainers, players, and to try and mesh and build chemistry with them, especially for a deep playoff run? You hardly know the guys, right?
2: Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I knew one guy. Well, yeah, I knew Darren Banks was there who played with me, in Adirondack. a big, tough guy, Banks. Yes. And um, uh, he was there. So that made it made it a bit easier. There's another guy that got traded with me too, was uh, Dwayne Joyce, but he wasn't sure if he was coming. He had a family, in Adirondack. He was told he wasn't going to get moved. He ended up getting loaned out. So he wasn't too happy. So uh, I ended up getting on a plane, flying to Vegas uh, to meet the vipers in vegas because they're playing in vegas i got in the dressing room i don't know maybe 20 minutes before warm-up got dressed um got on the ice and um i started the game and i can't remember the guy but center um i went to face off and turn around the guy cross-checked me right in the back so i turned back and hacked him right in the ankles and dropped the gloves so i think it was the first shift or I could be wrong there, might've been my second or third shift, but I'm pretty sure we ended up getting a fight and I forget who the guy was. So that was my start with the Vipers. Um, I didn't get a lot of ice time. I mean, I had to earn it there. They didn't know me. Um, obviously Rick Dudley did some scouting. He knew what I could bring to the table, Their playoff run, but you know, when you're, when you're a new player, new coach, they don't really know you. So I wasn't getting a lot of ice time, three, four shifts a period. I had to earn my stripes. I mean, they had a lot of good players there. Um, they had, their defense, Ian Herbert, Brad Shaw, Jeff Reese was in goal, a lot of X nhl guys, so um, you had to work hard in practice and try to be in the lineup. I mean, um, Wayne Presley was there, Jimmy Carson, I mentioned him earlier, but yeah, no, I fought my way through and I yeah, ended up uh, getting a regular shift uh, in the playoffs and, and myself, and like I said, I worked my way up the lineup and it was a great experience.
1: So I've, I have always had a lot of respect for uh, Ludzik. and uh, I always thought he kind of got a bum rap when he was the uh, head coach in Tampa. I, I actually lived in Tampa around that time. And of course, you know, fans around that time before uh, Tortorella came on board, you know, it, it was just owners every other year and head coaches weren't, didn't have a long tenure, but I always thought Lugzig, uh had a good games, uh, a good system there. And of course, like you're talking about, was just a great coach in the minor leagues. Uh, What were some of the better qualities that Ludzik showed you?
2: Ludzik could motivate you. That's one thing he could do very well. But also, one of his strengths was um, the systems he put in place. He was a very smart hockey man. Um, Because when I went from Adirondack to switch systems, he he had face-off plays. Uh, You had to learn – all over the place. Like I wasn't used to that and uh, very organized, um, very smart uh, coach, could adjust during the game, no problem, the different things. And then between periods, i uh, have us switch things around and he was always on the ball, but you can definitely motivate you. I mean, you can push your buttons the right way. When he came in, the intensity, Ludzie's got a lot of intensity, he was a very intense man. And um, you can push, push, push everybody. I mean. Um, it was, it was great to play for him. It was a great experience. I know my brother played for him in Tampa a little bit when he got traded. Vancouver, either that or he was let go at the time. Let's see, but Dan liked him too. I mean, you know, you have a guy that cares about the game so much, you, you go through the wall for him.
1: So uh, you mentioned uh, Darren Banks being a, a teammate of yours for a while. So uh, we had Banksy on, I don't know, three or four, three months ago, whatever. We were talking about him, colorful guy. So I'll ask this question: uh, Would you have gone up against Banks if you had to? <laughs> no.
2: I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if he grabbed me and I had no choice, yeah. But you know what? Um, Banksy's a big man; he's very strong, and um, you know, he sat beside me in Adirondack in the dressing room. He's a great guy. I actually ran into him uh, two years ago in Vegas. I took, uh, I was coaching a junior all-star team in the area and I took him to a showcase up there and I ran into banks there. So yeah, he's still the same. He hasn't changed one bit That's since it. we played together. So, so awesome. a great guy. No, but I would never fight him unless I had to.
0: <laughs> so who was, uh, who was the toughest line mate you had then that you were able to play with over the years?
2: Well, I mean, the toughest guy, I guess, the, the best fighter of all time would be Bob Probert. So, um, I was called up in Chicago, I played with him and Reed Simpson on the line, and uh, actually, Bob was my roommate on the road. Um, he was a great guy, and, um, you know, I, I knew Bob from the days I was with Detroit, training camp as a young guy. He was, always, he was always one of the players that took the time to talk to the young guys when we came to training camp. You know, he always... Asked you questions. And then when he found out, I I came from the Sioux, Uh, Bob played for the Sioux Greyhounds. So we had a lot of things in common already. So uh, he was good to me during all those Detroit years. I went to training camp. And then when I went to Chicago, it was nice to, uh, you know, to get to see him there and be his line mate and be his roommate on the road. And then when I played over in England, he actually came on a tour with the team and dropped the puck at one of our games in Coventry. And uh, I ended up getting player of the match, which I gave you a case of beer. And Bob's the one that presented it to me after the game. So no, um, yeah, I'd say Bob is, but I mean, there was guys like Ryan Vanderbush I played with in junior. The guy he was a five, nine, he'd fight everybody pound for pound. He's really tough. Kenny Belanger was a big man. Um, he, he can throw. He was a lefty. Uh, Frank Bialoas I played with in yeah. Indianapolis. Just yeah. another guy. So. You know, there was, there was a lot of guys. And even uh, back in the United League, after my American League when I went back to Adirondack. I played with a guy named Trevor Sinn. Um, you know, maybe he never got a chance to play higher up. I think he played a little bit with Baltimore in the American League, but that guy was tough and mean. Um, you know, he didn't want to cross him on the ice. And he played hard, but a lot of respect for that guy. He played hard at that level, and he showed up every night and dropped his gloves. So just a few of those guys, I mean, yeah, Probert for sure, because he's everyone knows him. He's probably one of the best fighters of all time, so not the greatest. And then guys like Vanden Bush, Trevor Sen, and any like Trevor Sen for you know being in the UHL and, and playing in probably the school hockey league at the time. He, he he was tough.
0: Now, yeah, we've actually had uh, multiple guests, tough guys have been on the show that have mentioned Vandenbusch. I hear that name all the time now. And you said he was only 5'9". I don't know if this is... Yeah, so he was a small guy. So I also heard, too, is he a bit crazy on the ice? Almost like a Chris Nyland, just unpredictable. I heard he kind of maybe like to spear guys. He was never afraid to drop the gloves, but he was just crazy.
2: Well, I played with Bushy and Guelph for two years at the Guelph Storm. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. A great family guy, great guy. Um, but when he was on the ice, obviously everyone's different. Uh, he played at a high int- intensity, he's very competitive. Uh, he played hard and yeah, I mean, if he, if, say you came at me or you went after Jeff O'Neill and did something, yeah, he probably would go and, and spear someone after because you just touched the best player, right? So, uh, but Bushy was honest too. He wouldn't jump you, he dropped drop the gloves and he always squared up. And that's one thing you gotta respect about those guys. Cause when I was up in Chicago, uh, we were in New Jersey and I remember taking a face off against Bobby Holik and him and Olawa were talking about fighting. I was like, "And Olawa's like, he's a big, he's massive." So, and Bushy, like, if you go back and watch those tapes, they went toe to toe, and still don't don't know how you can take those punches. I mean, that guy could punch hard at Olawa. So, uh, no, I mean, Bushy, Bushy was a great teammate, and yeah, he he battled hard for his career. That's for sure. So we fast
1: forward. Uh to 98 99 and you know you're paying your dues you grind it out you finally get your your shot here to get in the NHL so obviously and you probably ask this a lot uh, but it's it's great stories to to listen to what do you remember about the locker room experience you know getting in that day or that night before meeting the captain um, and then doing the pre-warm-up and the game what what do you remember about that
2: well i was sitting at home watching tv in our apartment um uh, me and katie Katie at the time was uh, pregnant with our first emily um and i got a phone call from bruce cassidy and he's like what are you doing so oh, now we're just you know, relaxing watching tv it's around eight thirty. he's like well pack your bags you're flying out at 11 11 p.m you're going up to chicago i was like okay it's nice stop joking, stop joking around bruce It's <laughs> like no no no. he's like i'm serious you're going up so got off the phone packed my suitcase um my wife drove me to the airport um, get in make my flight i sat the flight was delayed for about an hour and a half because there was a snowstorm in chicago and all they kept saying is our flight might be canceled and i, I was like crossing my fingers i'm like come on i just got called up the NHL like if I had to I would have got in my car and drove there myself I could get on the plane but I finally ended up taking off I got into the hotel around two get to the hotel because of the snowstorm uh, all the rooms were booked at where I was at so they gave me a room it was a conference room I'll never forget this uh, they had a bed in the conference room for me so I slept in a conference room till the morning after practice a pre-game skate they're going to move me to a regular room so I ended up sleeping in the conference room, which I didn't sleep very well because it's a big room and it was dark and <laughs> pretty creepy to be honest. But yeah, that was my start, and then I got the pregame skate, uh, met everybody there. The guys who, like Bobby Popper was one of the first guys always, Chris Chelios, Dougie Gilmore. Uh, I knew Jamie Allison from our junior days, and um, Brad Brown and another guy I competed against in the American League, and so I knew some of the guys and. Uh, Mark Fitzpatrick was a backup goalie, very nice guy. And Trent Yanni I knew was our assistant coach. Denise Savard, the other assistant coach. And, you know, they all welcome me. Lauren Mollican at the time was our head coach. So, yeah, I went on the ice. I was on a line and jumped in for the 20-minute skate. I stayed on, did a bit of extra, chatted with Denise Savard, and then got a ride back to the hotel with, um, I think it was Brad Brown or maybe Brian Muir. Um, but, yeah, no, I finally had a bedroom, was able to have a nice nap. I didn't sleep very well. And, uh, yeah, I got to play my first NHL game. And uh, to put on that jersey, um, it's an original six team again. Chicago Blackhawks, Just feeling the logo. Um, you know, I think it was uh, Chris brought the jersey over to me and gave it to me, Chelios. So, you know, it was quite the experience. I mean, in warm-up, I was nervous as hell, excited, nervous. Uh, legs were wobbly but uh you know flying around I was excited and got out there um probably didn't get as much ice time as I would have wanted to but just to be there and finally say I made it and um yeah I, I got to play those seven games I was there for two months set out some games one of the extras did a lot of extra work bag skating and stuff and ended up going back to Indianapolis for our playoff run uh, we we ended up uh actually losing out to the Detroit Vipers that year and they ended up losing to Orlando in the semifinals. But uh, I was quite, quite a run in Indy. Loved it. Uh, During that summer, we came back home to Barrie, Ontario. uh, And we had Emily and then Denise Savard ended up calling me and I was supposed to go spend the summer in Chicago and train. It was supposed to be me, Brad Brown, uh, Joseph Marha, Johnny Verroux, I think was the other guy. It was about six of us. And they wanted us to come back to Chicago for the summer and train right away and get ready for the season. They were looking at me to be their fourth line center, which who doesn't say yes to that. Right. I mean, obviously right? Who knows what happens in training camp. Something could happen. Someone new comes in, but I was, I was going to get a chance. And then, um, the Atlanta, uh, thrashers ended up, uh, drafting me in the expansion draft. So, um, I was excited about going there, but then I was like, so disappointed because I was planning on going to spend summer in Chicago and train. I knew I had a chance. And then now I'm going to a new team again. Uh, Don Waddell, who drafted me, I was the assistant GM in Detroit my last few years with the Red Wings. So he knew me, but it was just a new, like going into Atlanta. Uh, I stayed for the whole camp there that year. Uh, I played two exhibition games against New Jersey so obviously in the back of your mind, you know something's going on. Um, I scored, I think I had three, three points one game and two the other game. I was playing with Kelly Buckberger on the line, which was, was pretty good. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting traded uh, a month after to New Jersey. So obviously there was a reason why I was dressing against New Jersey, but um, it was tough that year because uh, we just had the baby uh, got sent down. Atlanta sent me down to Orlando which I was, we were really excited about. I mean, you, you're moving to Orlando, you can't complain about the weather. I get to Orlando, Katie's um, family. Her father drove the U-Haul from Toronto, say Toronto, Ontario, all the way to Orlando with our furniture, got everything set up. We finally, have the baby on a schedule sleeping, and then you get a call from Lula and Murillo saying to pack your stuff. You're going to Albany, New York, and you've been treated. <laughs> So um, those are some of the stories, right? And then, and Lou Lamorello was great to us because he called me and um, basically said, leave everything there. Uh, We have your address. Uh, We're gonna send a moving company. You guys get on a flight. Uh, There'll be someone picking you up in Albany at the airport. And yeah, we got on the flight, our dog, uh, baby Emily and Katie and left our car in Orlando, left all our furniture and Jersey Devils uh, they took care of it. So it was wow. It's pretty neat. Yeah, Lou's first class that way. He always he always takes care of his players. I mean, I got to play for Lou for three years. He was our general well, he a general manager in New Jersey. But in Albany and playing for him so much respect the way he runs things.
0: So you head overseas in 2006, and you ended up playing the EIHL, which is located in the United Kingdom for our listeners that may or not be familiar with that league, and you ended up actually winning back-to-back championships your first two years there in 2007 and 2008, so what was that like going, I mean, first of all, going to a different country, and then, you know, I mean, immediately finding success, and then you ended up becoming the captain of the team your second year, is that correct?
2: Yes, um, yeah, so what happened was I played in, that, in Adirondack. I went back to Adirondack to the United League and the team ended up folding uh, Barry Melrose and Steve Levy uh, closed shop. Uh, I ended up, again, drafting the expansion draft in the United League by Port Huron, which was Stan really at the time was the head coach, general manager guy I played with with the Vipers. So we went to Port Huron, did the tour, showed us the house we were gonna live in. Uh, we Pretty much had agreed to a contract And I got an email from the Coventry Blaze. Paul Thompson was the head coach, general manager. And um, he made us an offer and I said no. And I went and he asked me what I wanted. And I sent back what I wanted and he said yes right away. So at the time I kind of regretted maybe I should have asked for more. But (laughs) no. Uh, We ended up working on a two-year contract with them in Coventry. So I had to call Stan Julia and tell him I wasn't coming to Port Euron. Um, We just wanted to go to England. We had been to Switzerland. Uh, which was a good experience also but the language was different and going to England was easy our kids were school age at the time so they could go to school there uh, my wife could work at sc- a school she's a teacher so she was working in England too so we ended up going there um and when I got to Coventry um uh, Paul Thompson sat me down in his office he wanted me to be a ca- they already had a captain I had been there a few years and he knew I was a captain pretty much wherever I played and he asked me if I wanted to be the captain, and I said no. I said we have a captain in the room, and I said if you take the C away, you could disrupt the whole dressing room because we had a very good hockey team. So, so that you don't need you don't need a C or an A on your jersey. You can always be a leader without a letter on your jersey. So, uh, yeah, we ended up winning the the championship that year. I think we won the the league title. We won the British Knockout Cup. We Won the Challenge Cup. Ended up losing. In the playoffs, in the final four, which the playoffs is different. It's uh, like soccer; uh, you play one home, one away, first round. So total goals moves on. And then you go to this final four, where all the fans from the whole league go to this arena in Nottingham. It's pretty amazing atmosphere because every team's got their fans there, so it's pretty cool. So we ended up losing that year in the finals. I think it was the Sheffield beat us. The second year, we ended up winning the league again. I think we won the British Knockout Cup. I think we lost the Challenge Cup to Cardiff that year, and then we lost in the semifinals in the playoffs that year. So yeah, we had we had some success. Uh, we won a few games and two championships, and we had a good group of guys there. It was a lot of fun. So um,
1: uh, believe it or not, with our parent company, they uh, provide some demographic information for uh, some of our listeners, and we actually I think because we have guys that have played in the UK, we actually get a pretty decent following of uh, UK that faithfully download our episodes. Um, so what uh, can you give us a little bit of stories? And you, you talked a little bit about the soccer atmosphere, but give a little bit of love to some of the uh, UK teams over there. What was the, uh, what were the fans like? What were the towns like understanding that they might, might not be hockey towns, but uh, what was it like over there?
2: Well, when I first went to Coventry, like I didn't really know what to expect. So I had a couple buddies on the team, uh, Barry Moore, who I played with uh, in Indianapolis. He was over there. Uh, Neil Martin, uh, who was from uh, Northern Ontario. Um, he played with my brother with the Greyhound. So I knew a few of the guys. I didn't know what to expect. I know when I, when I first got to Coventry, we, they had a barbecue for all of us and we ended up going out on the town that night. The day first day before training camp, we ended up going to... We had a barbecue. We had some pints there. And then we ended up going to a club as a team, and you can tell right away we we're going to have fun. And we headed off, and then training camp started. My first game in Coventry—just um, the atmosphere was a small. It's a small arena. I think it could fit around 2,200 people. Uh, it was packed solid, and just the chanting and the singing before the game to go on the ice. I mean, the goosebumps standing in the hallway uh, <laughs> before he stepped on the ice was unbelievable. I mean. The two years, even now, like uh, the 20 years I played professional hockey, I played some great uh, places, but um, those two years were a lot of fun because of the group of guys we had, the, the staff there, uh, Andy Buxton, uh, who ran the team, and Mike Cowley, and Paul Thompson, who was our coach. Um, uh, they, they make a difference because you're coming from another country going in there and but the fans in Coventry were great I mean we'd mingle with the fans we always went to a pub after the games There was a team pub where we would meet them and have some food and we'd chat with them and have a beer with them and you know it became close and you got to know a lot of people I have a lot of friends in Coventry I spent two years there and and uh you know we won a lot of championships with our house but uh I mean Come and trade a small arena, Sheffield Arena, and Sheffield is a big club in the UK. They, they probably get eight to 9,000 fans a game. So they spend more money, so you know they're going to win. Uh, the quality of players. They can get uh, Nottingham Panthers, where they always host the Final Four. I think it might be 12,000, beautiful arena. Um, they're, they're one of the big clubs, so they, they get the ex-American guys and stuff like that uh Belfast in Ireland, I mean, what a place to go play there. And it's quite the experience there. Uh, we used to get to stay there overnight. And um, just to, to go there, I mean, go to different pubs and, and listen to the live bands and the music and different music and just a different culture, just going, going out and, and speaking with people. Like, um, it was a lot. It was a great experience going over there. Because even when you went to Scotland, go to Edinburgh, um, which was a small club. They probably got 600 fans a game, but their fans um, were so passionate about the game. It was like there was 3,000 fans there and they knew their hockey there. They knew they knew the game in Edinburgh, but what a great city to, to go and, and meet and, you know even the different accents, the Scottish accents, the Irish accents. Oh, the yeah. Welsh accent in Cardiff. I mean, Cardiff's another big club run really well. Um, the Devils, Cardiff Devils. But, um, yeah, no, we loved our time there. I ended up going back uh, to work in the hall in the UK as a general manager, coach, player there at the Hall of So I spent five years there. And uh, we had a small club. We had a small arena. Our, our average attendance was probably 800 fans a game. But they were so passionate. Uh, the one season I'll never forget, we, um, they had never made the playoffs until I got there player coach. So we made the playoffs the second year, I believe, we went to the final four. We ended up beating Sheffield in the, the one the home and away game. We tied 2-2 at home in hall. The arena was packed. Sheffield was 45 minutes away from us. So they had all their fans in our arena. So the atmosphere was crazy. We tied 2-2, went back to Sheffield the next night, and they thought they were going to, were going to walk all over us. Well, we beat them 5-2 in their building. Uh, and we ended up going. To, it was the biggest uh, upset in British uh, ice hockey history. So um, they had I think like 80 points. We had like 35 I think at the time when we finish our season. So we, we were the last team to make the playoffs. And we knocked them off and then when we came back um, to Hall on the bus uh, the arena parking lot was full with our fans waiting for us to get off the bus and we just had a massive party and uh, we ended up going to the pub and the pub was packed with our fans and you know they were singing and they were crying and you know, it was so big, such a big thing for them. It was a big thing for us. I mean, we threw we threw our gloves on the ice. Like, we to the Stanley Cup because we know how big of an upset it was. But the, the part of that story is you're allowed 10 imports at the time when I coached there. And before Christmas, the ownership group came to me and I had to, to fire an import for oh. Christmas. So we played with nine import, import short, ended up beating one of the biggest clubs in British ice hockey the money they were spending. And, you know, it was just the accomplishment to those guys, the nine imports that were in that dressing room. And we had young British kids at the time, 16, 17, that I would use as my third or fourth line because I didn't have to pay them at a small budget. So they just had a chance to play pro at the time. And, um, yeah, I give credit to those guys that battled through that season and, and upset Sheffield to make it. But, no, the fans are amazing. Uh, the fans in the hall, like there's was a smaller community, but the fans were unbelievable. How dedicated they are to
0: their club. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, obviously, like you were just talking about, you had a massive impact on the team. And now I know it wasn't the whole Stingrays that ended up retiring your number. I think it was their successor team, correct? But you did end up having your number, uh, number 83, hung up in the Raptors and retired. So what did that small community personally mean to you after you had retired? I mean, after you were able to take in all those years, have your number retired, what does that community still mean to you even today?
2: Well, a, it was a big part of our lives. I mean, my daughters, uh, for five years, went to school there, um, played soccer, football over there. Uh, my oldest at one point was playing uh, for three teams. She was playing for her own age group in North Ferriby Played for the North Fairby ladies team and then uh, got called up to the Hall University a women's team was able to go play with them too. So um, we had a lot of friends in the community. Um, I mean, I got to know, like I had my routine during the week where I would meet. Um, I'd say there was four of them we would meet at a, at a pub, I'd have a couple of pints on a Friday night with them. At a pub would chat hockey, they love chatting hockey. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was a routine every Friday night and Monday nights, uh, once in a while, love going to the pub. Um, and you watch Monday night football and, you know, and the lifestyle over there uh, was so much more relaxing here. It was just laid back and, you know, and yeah, it was like, like we miss our time there. I mean, my wife, the reason we were able to stay there so long is her, her grandparents were from, her grandma was from Newcastle. My grandfather was from Scotland, so we had an ancestry visa, so you could go back any time. But Hall was like our home. Um, uh, our fans, obviously, they were the type where you had to gain their trust. And it took me probably a year and a half. They were hard on me my first year, uh, which is normal. Uh, I got to know them. They got to know me. I was always honest with them, with my signings, with anything that was happening. I never heard anything from them. And uh, they earned my trust. And then I got to know a lot of people in the community uh, with the kids going to school and then playing soccer. So we made a lot of friends away from hockey. And yeah, I mean, we still, we had um, my daughter, I think the second year we came back, I think she, uh, five friends from England, five girls flew over and came and I have three daughters. So they all came over and hung out for a week. Oh, nice. Uh, we had a couple that came, excuse me, a few years ago that came over and hung out. They basically made our home like, point they traveled around and visited so yeah no we keep in touch um still a lot of friends over there uh living there even a couple guys coaching over there too so yeah no i i miss i'm missing yeah,
1: so before we get to uh what we call our lightning round questions we're just going to ask you you know favorite this favorite that we're just going to have yeah. the questions coming at you but uh what do you got going on here today what are you doing today
2: today right well, now what am I doing well, well, not, not your <laughs> anniversary. I, I can imagine what <laughs> no, you're going to be doing later. But uh, <laughs> Actually, you know. she's got me doing hardwood flooring right now. So, <laughs> because it got me on, a, I got a break right now. No. <laughs> so, w- w- you know, where are you living? What are you
1: doing for the fans to kind of update?
2: Uh, right now, uh, well, we, we had a home in Barrie, Ontario. So, we're, we're in our home here. I uh, was coaching uh, junior tier two, tier three level. Uh, the past seven years since I came home, was a, a club that was 15 minutes away from my house. So uh, it was nice and easy just to make the round back and forth. I resigned uh, last year during COVID and at uh, uh, the end of October, because so there was no hockey. So uh, I resigned from that team. And uh, now I'm a free agent. Um, I still want to coach. I still want to be involved. I love teaching the game. Uh, I do a lot of skill stuff in Wasega Beach uh, with some of the minor hockey there. Um, But yeah, right now I have a full-time job. Uh, I work, I get up, like tomorrow I'll be up at 4.30 a.m. I'll I'll get to work for 5.30. After I resign from there, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to work. And yeah, so I'm working and enjoying it. It's different. Uh, But I I miss the game. I love the game. I want to stay in it. So we'll see what happens here in the next few months.
1: Awesome. All right, lightning round questions. I'll start. So uh, the toughest goalie you ever played against?
2: Uh, Dan Cloutier.
1: Out of
0: all of the minor leagues, IHL, the UHL, even all of the leagues in the um, overseas, excluding the NHL, which one paid the best?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Well, Switzerland paid the best. I was there for a short time. But if you look at East Coast United League, uh, United League paid the best as there was under the table money. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Same. Favorite line mate? Favorite line mate? Well, I have a few. Um, in Guelph, my rookie year, I had a line with Bill Kovacs and Brent Pope. Uh, it was a great line my rookie year. Um, favorite teammate in the United League, I'd say it's Hugo Belanger one of your all time points, getter in, in the minor leagues. Uh, NHL obviously playing with Bob Hoover and that, um, probably be my favorite up there, but, and over in England, my two years in Coventry, my favorite teammate was Adam, uh, Adam Calder, with a pure goal scorer, um, really nice guy. I passed away a few years ago, with, uh, cancer. Uh, and Hall, uh, favorite player I had in the hall as a player coach who was a good friend now. was a good linemate is Jeremy
0: So Considering all the pro leagues that you played in throughout your career, which stadium had the worst ice
2: conditions? Uh, the worst ice conditions um, I'd say probably in England would have been the Basin Stoke arena.
1: Did they, just, did they
2: just Yeah, did they just not know how to make ice over there? I'm not sure if it was, they didn't know how to make it. I think it was just the, maybe the piping and all that was pretty old. And I think the corners were melting and it wasn't probably the safest place to play a hockey game. Favorite arena to play in. Favorite arena to play in. Um, Glens Falls uh, Civic Center. Uh, played a lot of years there. Four years with the Red Wings, Adirondack Red Wings, and then three years with the Adirondack Crossbite. And... Uh, Ice hawks. So I'd say the Lens Falls Civic Center, beautiful arena, uh big ice surface. It was a lot of fun to play there. Is there was there ever
0: a player that had just that innate ability to get under your skin?
2: Uh there was always a few. I mean, uh, Yarko Rutu is one of them. Uh broke a couple fingers on his helmet. Um uh, Nash played in Syracuse. He played for Phoenix. I think it's Tyson, right? His first name. Uh, I'm sure he's a great guy off the ice. But, yeah, he played the game. He's a little, I wouldn't know, say he's a little rat, but he liked to talk. And he, he played the game like I did at the time. And he had a great career. He was a great, great, great guy, great hockey player. But, yeah, he got under my skin. He used to play Albany Syracuse.
1: The funniest or craziest thing to happen to you during a game
2: uh, I'd have to change uh, one of my game socks in Philadelphia when we played the Phantoms. Um, I spilled some red Gatorade and somehow Lou Lamorello saw it and I had to change my sock, my white sock to another white sock. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, I know,
0: I know that this last question is obviously very, very broad, but just maybe the first memory that comes to your head when I say, what was your favorite hockey memory in your entire career?
2: Well, there's many, but my favorite one, um, well, I'll tell you, one was getting called up, obviously getting the phone call from Bruce Cassidy. Um, but the one that stands here was uh, being the captain of the Houston Arrows and, um, you know, Todd was to my coach at the time, he picked me a, a, as the captain and be able to lift the Calder Cup game seven, Against Montreal's farm team and, and Edmonton at the time, they were sharing it was probably the best moment was lifting that trophy. Awesome. And, and another one I didn't really talk about was we were black aces with New Jersey and they won the Stanley Cup. We'll Me, Pierre, Pierre Dagenet, Steve Roulette, Sasha Gotch, and Willie Mitchell were the five guys that were there. We were black aces. We got skate every day. We ended up beating Dallas, won the Stanley Cup. So those are probably the three favorite moments. Awesome.
1: Well, we want to thank you so much. And you've been very gracious of our time and putting up our fan base questions. Hopefully we ask you questions you don't normally get, but it's the way it goes, I guess.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was awesome. Thanks for
1: having me guys.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. And have a wonderful anniversary as well. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And if you just hang on, I'm going to pause this and we'll say goodbye Uh offline, but uh, hang on one moment. We'll be right back. All right, Andrew.
0: Yeah, wonderful time. Sylvain's a great guy. Um, You know, I really enjoy interviewing the players that you know have played everywhere. Obviously, it's cool when you if you get an NHL you know regular in here on the show, but you know playing overseas and you know, getting stories and ideas of what, you know, other fan bases are like there. I mean, only 800 people a game, but if, if they're going absolutely crazy, every game, man, it's got to feel electric. Well, way. And
1: and like I said, we do want to throw a little bit of love to our, um, the UK hockey fans. Yep. And like I do say the demographics we got, you know, we, we, we do have a little bit of a, a listener base over in the UK and we want to say hello to all of them. And, you know, uh, we should, uh, Maybe get uh, a UK-born player on the podcast sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so
0: for any of our fans that, you know, have got recommendations for players, coaches, people, I mean, let us know. We, we like to go and try and do a research find and try and contact
1: these guys. And um, yeah, it was yeah just, our goal, which we've been successful thus far, of having a, a guest each week. And uh, who do we got lined up, Andrew? Um, so we've got Jim Tuhay, who will be coming
0: in a few weeks. He was a, uh, first of all, the OHL manager. I can't think of the, the the team off the top of my head, but was for about eight years. And then was recently, um, uh, pretty much all through the 2010s, uh, was, a the director of amateur scouting for the
1: Arizona coyotes. Right. And now so, he's a GM in the OHL, right? He was. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, that'll be interesting to ask questions from, uh, um, more of a, um, administrative hockey league organization level i don't know what i'm trying to say yeah
0: well but we also are going to have our first linesman who that's a right linesman i think in a couple of different maybe it was european leagues but he did the echl and was an ahl mainstay. and
1: it's gonna you know i'm, I'm looking forward to that because i would love to you know talk to one of the refs even you know lineman head doesn't matter they they get yelled at by everybody and and uh, a lot of good fan base questions because nobody likes referees, right. but they do a great job. Oh, and the last one that I did remember, except for the NHL playoffs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Let's not even
0: talk about that. Okay. Yeah, the last player that I forgot to mention that will be on next week is uh, former Boston Bruin player Jay That's right. Henderson. That's right. So, always a great time when we get a former Bruin player on here, as you know. Most of our listeners probably assume and already know we are a. "Quote unquote Bruins based
1: podcast. I
0: mean, we're just fans of the team. But and by the
1: time, by the time this podcast is released, and by the time we get a next one, the Stanley Cup will be over. Um, And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, jinx the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right now is this recording. They're up three games to zero. They play tonight, right? They do play tonight. Yep, and they they have a chance to shut it down. Well, anyway, we've got. We've got one of our former guests that comes on all the time, our good friend, Dave Capiano, and he called Tampa in the first round playoffs. And uh, we were uh, talking via text last night. And I told him, uh, Hey, you know, you called it. And he said, you know, while it's not over, it's uh, you know, clearly they were the better team. So uh, I think we're going to ask Dave to come on and kind of give us maybe his top 10 reasons why Tampa was so strong and deep as an organization as a club. And, uh, and we can talk a little bit more uh, to Davis as well, because he's a great guest coming on the show and he knows his hockey. Absolutely. So we appreciate
0: everybody tuning in this week. We hope you had a great time listening to our interview with Sylvain Cloutier
1: and uh, this is episode 34. Everybody have a wonderful rest of the week. Take care.